All right, so we are looking <coughs> at our very first biblical value, trusting in the Lord, having faith in God. That's what Jesus said. He says, you, have, you believe in, in God, believe also in me, so have faith in me, have faith in God. So we, we started that. Last week, if you remember, I had a picture of a crucible up here underneath the fire. And we talked a little bit about our faith being tried and those trials that God puts us through are to purify our faith, to perfect our faith, to remove um, that dross from our lives so that we might learn to rest in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And of course, for this value, biblical value, going to the book of Proverbs, our verse is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And that's a good verse. In fact, I know of a couple of individuals that that is their life verse. That is their life verse. And it certainly has proven true in their life. Trusting in the Lord, I think I said this last week, trusting in the Lord is the key component in our relationship with our Savior, with our walk with God. If you stop and think about it, our, our, our life with God begins with faith, doesn't it? Yeah. Our life with God, our walk with God, it begins with faith, it continues by faith as we live this life. And one day our faith, according to 1 John 3, 2, our faith will be what? Sight. Will be sight. That's what 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So one of these days, the object of our faith, the person of our faith, we're going to see face to face. Now I'm looking forward to that. And a part of me is not looking forward to that. But I am. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Also, uh, how do we please the Lord? What does the Bible tell us how we please the Lord? By faith. By faith. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please Him. So if you want to please God, you live a life of faith. So... Uh, the question might be asked, well, can, can you rightly say that trusting the Lord, having faith in God, can we actually call that a biblical value? Can we actually call that a biblical value? Can we say that trusting in the Lord is a biblical value? And I want to address that. What are biblical values? I mean, we're always hearing about family values. This value and that value. What is, a, what is a biblical value? Well, a biblical value is a truth or a doctrine, a teaching about our faith that we deem as most precious to ourselves and to the church. In the previous denomination that I was a member of, they used to call them cardinal doctrines. In other words, these were the, the, the foundation of the faith. 
And so biblical values are the foundations of our faith, the teaching, the doctrines of our faith. For, for they are the very words of God to us about our life and about our faith under the sun. Now what do I mean by under the sun? I'm asking all these questions. Maybe I shouldn't have listened to Gary Haskell. But what do I mean by under the sun? Okay, I'll tell you, since nobody wants to answer. That's life on earth, right? Life on earth under the sun. While we're still alive in these physical bodies, it is these precious truths, these teachings, these doctrines of our faith that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart on. It defines us, it it, uh, guides us, it shows us who we are to be, and, and, and so forth and so on. So as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that God has preserved his word for us. And through his word, we learn the mind of Christ. Right? We learn the mind of Christ. And it is, it is these, these, these values, these doctrines, these teachings, these mind, this, this mind of Christ on these matters that is the issues of the heart that we trust in the Lord concerning as far as our conversation in this life is concerned, okay? What is, what is meant by the conversation of this life? <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Yes, how you act. There is life out there. Instead of crickets, yes, exactly, our lifestyle, how we live our life, how we live our life. And these biblical values are there to help us, help us and how we are to live our lives as Bible-believing Christians. So I would dare say with utmost confidence that faith or trust in the Lord is the most fundamental of those values. Is the most fundamental of those values. It is this faith, this trust in the Lord that we are to nurture. It is this faith in the Lord that we to exercise by our obedience to these truths and these principles. It is by this value, biblical value of faith and trust that we face the tests and trials and afflictions of this life. Colossians 2.6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built it up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So as you have received Christ, how did you receive Jesus Christ? There you go. That's how we are to walk. That's how we are to walk. We are to walk by faith because we have received Jesus Christ by faith. Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to us through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So our whole relationship with the Lord started with faith started with faith. And it's by God's grace and power through Jesus Christ that we're even called the sons of God. John 1, 12 through 13. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Which were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of God. So Following this initial beginning, 
founded upon our faith in Christ's atonement for us, then we are to walk in this same faith. But that's the rub, isn't it? That's the rub. We are to walk in the same faith, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught. As ye have been taught. Uh, You remember when I talked about the creative aspect of the Word of God and the informative aspect of the Word of God? When you believe the Word of God, what it says about your sinful state and how, how God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ and you receive that message, what happened to you? You became a new creature. That's that creative act of God that because you believed in his word, well there's an informative act, action of God or aspect of God's word that teaches you about these truths these biblical values and guess what that creative aspect is still going on it's still going on why is that, why do I say that because what is God's purpose for you and for me whose image are we to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ so it's a continuous creative act going on in our life as we read God's word believe God's word and obey God's word is that kind of wild to think about but that's what's going on that's what's going on the Apostle Peter, he writes in... Uh, turn to Second Peter, chapter 1. This, uh, Peter writes about this creative and informative power of God's Word in the life of those who trust in the Lord with all their, with all their heart. In Second Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 2... Is everybody there? Raise your hand if you're there. <laughs> Thank you, Kenley. Second Peter 1, 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Woo, whoa, whoa, whoa. Through what? The knowledge of God. Don't miss that. And of Jesus our Lord. Don't miss that. According as his divine power, creative, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through what? The knowledge of him, information, that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, that's the Holy Spirit of God, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, listen to this, giving all diligence, add to your what? Faith. Virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they may make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They make you. Now this would be a great passage one day to break down and study in its individual parts, but what is the foundation of all of these values? Faith. 
That's where it starts. That's where it begins. And that's where it progresses. That's where it grows. It grows from our faith. As we believe what he has written, right? And put it into practice in our life, then these become a reality. These values become a reality. It is, it is faith in what God has done and in what God has said that these other virtues become established in our character by faith. So faith is a very fundamental value. Very fundamental value. It's by faith in Christ that we have victory in this life under the sun. And one of these days we're going to fully experience that victory, such as our brother Gwaine. You know, we, we think of Gwaine as being passed away, be, you know, being dead. No, he's living like he's never lived before. He understands now what that abundant life really means. He's rejoicing in it. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith is the, is the channel of this victory. It's the very basis. Faith is in God and trust in God is the very basis of our joy and fellowship with God. 1 John 1, 3-4 That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So it's our faith in what is written that gives us our joy, our hope, our victory. And as I mentioned earlier, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. You know, a constant rebuke of the Lord toward his disciples and toward others was this one. He would often say, O ye of what? little faith oh ye of little faith he didn't rebuke them because they didn't have faith he rebuked them because their faith was weak it was little it was little they trusted in him too little read you the story found in Mark chapter 4 verses 37 through 41 if you want to turn there you can I don't have a powerpoint you know I don't have that, but I do have the Bible sitting right there in your lap, hopefully. Mark chapter 4, verses 37 through 41. Raise your hand when you're there. <laughs> okay, thank you, Danae. Mark chapter 4, verses 37. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, I love this, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Raise your hand if that would be you. Yeah. Yeah. And he rose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the, wind, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, this was part of the Lord's discipling his men. He put them in these situations for a reason. So that they would come to the place in their faith that their faith would be perfected and they would trust in him. This was very early on in in the disciples' career with the Lord. And this is how the Lord was discipling these men. He would put them in situations so that they would learn who he was and learn to trust in who he was. That's the same thing with us. That's the same thing with us. God puts us in situations. He puts us in our little boats and he rocks that boat. And the waves swamp that boat. And we do the same thing. Lord, don't you care that I perish? He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to trust in him, even when he's rocking the boat. Because he'll see us through the storm. You know, people will say, well, he let Gwayne Arney down. Did he? No, he saw Gwayne through the storm. Now Gwayne is safe. He's safe. Another passage, Luke 17, 5, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. You know, it's not so much about praying to the Lord about our unbelief. We need to pray to the Lord that he would increase our faith. And we, how do we increase our faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. That's how our faith is increased. Because, they, because we believe in what God's Word says. When you think of the man Abraham, what do you think of? Well, a lot of things. But what's the number one thing that Abraham is noted for? His faith. Yeah. He believed God, therefore it was accounted unto him for righteousness. His faith, right? His faith. James 2.23, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Remember? Without faith it's impossible to please God. Abraham was called a friend of God because why? Because of his faith in God. Because of his faith in God. That's why God called him my friend. Paul referred to Abraham as the father of all of us who, like him, have faith in God. Romans 4.16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Galatians 3.7 Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham? Now does that mean that we as Gentiles are physical descendants of Abraham? No. But we are spiritual, if I may use the term, descendants of Abraham, because like him, we have faith in God. 
That's what makes that's what makes Abraham our father in the faith is because like Abraham we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe what God said concerning his son. So we are related by faith in the Lord rather than by flesh and blood. Abraham's not the only one. The Bible is full of men and women that believed and trusted in God with all their hearts. Hebrews chapter 11, it's that famous, what is it they call it, the hall of faith? Do you think Hebrews chapter 11 lists every man and woman in the, in the Bible that had faith like that? No. Because that chapter would be a whole lot longer. <laughs> No, it did not. In fact, as you read through your Old and New Testament, there's lots of folks in there who exercised faith that you might be surprised to even learn about. Now, someone might object and say, but I'm not an Abraham. I could never, I could never be an Abraham. I could never have faith like like Abraham did. He's one of the he's one of the heroes of the faith. I'm just an ordinary Joe or Jane. And if there's any Joe or Janes, I'm not picking on you. I'm just an ordinary individual. You know, I have a job. I've got kids and grandkids, you know? I could I could never. I could never have a faith like like Abraham, I've got a lot of flaws and shortcomings. I'm a, I'm a mess. Well, guess what? That's no excuse. Because Abraham was a mess. David was a mess. A lot of these folks were a mess. A lot of these folks were a mess. Remember what it said about Elias? James 5.17 Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it may not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. It says here that Elias was a man just like you and me. He had his ups and downs just like you and me. Just like a Daniel or a David... Do you realize these were ordinary men and women? Ordinary men and women. And you know what made the difference between them and others? And the same thing that makes a difference in our own life? They trusted in the Lord. They trusted in the Lord with all their heart. That's the difference maker. That's the difference maker. It was the faith of these flawed people that pleased the Lord. He knew their limitations. He knew Moses' limitations. You know, remember when Moses was making all those excuses? And how the Lord finally got frustrated with you know why the Lord got frustrated with Moses? This is the cliff notes. Because Moses was trusting more in his own ability than he was in the Lord. That's why the Lord got frustrated. And that's the reason why the Lord gets frustrated with me and you. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 8. This is the story of the centurion who had a servant who was ill. And he sent some folks to have Jesus heal his servant. Matthew chapter 8, we have the story here. Starting in verse, we'll go down to verse 8. I'm not going to cover the whole story. Matthew 8, 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Roof. (laughs) I was watching Ruth, that's why I said that. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. Okay, so he said, don't, you don't need to come to my house. Just speak the word. Speak the word. Look at what verse 10 says. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Now dwell on that for a minute. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the creator of heaven and earth, marveled. What was it he marveled over? Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. It's impossible to please God without faith. The only other time Jesus marveled, recorded in the Gospels, is found in Mark 6, 5 through 6. Mark 6, 5-6, And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of the centurion's faith, and he marveled because of his own people's unbelief. It's faith. Faith. And then there's the fellow by the name of Jairus who sent to Jesus, who, who came to Jesus, come heal my little, do- my little girl, she's, she's very sick, she's at the point of death. So Jesus says, okay, I'll come with you. While they were going, they met that gal who had the issue of blood for 12 years, thank you. You remember what the little gal did? She pressed through the crowd and she said to herself, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. She did. She was healed and Jesus stopped the whole procession, turned around and spoke to this gal. During this time, as Jesus was dealing with this woman, some of Jairus' household came to Jairus and don't bother the master. Your daughter's dead. Jarius heard this. Now, if you were Jarius, what would that do? Yeah, it'd break my heart. Jesus stopped for her. We we're on my way. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, if only. Yeah. Lord, if only. Who else heard that? Jesus. Didn't he? Jesus also heard the news. Jesus also heard the news in Luke 8.50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. 
You see, like Jairus, who came to Jesus, believing that Jesus was his only hope in healing his daughter, and upon hearing this news of his daughter being uh, having died, he's lost hope. Just like Jairus, sometimes we forget who it is we are walking with. Don't we? Don't we? Did Jesus not go to Jairus' home and raise that little girl back up from the dead? Yeah, he, he did. We sometimes forget who it is we're walking with. And that's, that's the real issue for us. That's what we are constantly grappling with in our relationship with God. Is that trusting in the Lord with all our heart and all of our various circumstances, our situations, and all of this stuff. This, it's, it's never... I don't know how many times I've always heard I've, I've heard people blame God for this and blame God for that and it's God's fault for this and that's why I don't this and that. It's all God's fault. No, it's not. It's never God's fault. God is not the issue. The issue is me and the issue is you. That's the issue. That's the issue. So, when I was thinking on this issue of the heart, as far as trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts, I was thinking to myself, okay, there's three questions that I face at times when I'm put in a place where I have to trust God. When I really have to rest in God. Now I don't know if these are the same questions that you guys might grapple with. Or have grappled with. But there's three questions. And these three questions is this. One. Is God worthy of my trust? Is God worthy of my trust? Two. Does God truly know better than I do? or others in this situation and number three does God truly care so is God worthy of my trust does God really truly know better or does God truly care now when you're in a situation like that I'll lay odds that one or more of those three questions pop up And to honestly answer these questions, when you have to trust God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, I think it will reveal a lot about your relationship with Him. And these three questions, I believe, are three questions that have to be answered. Not by me, <laughs> but by, who, by you if you're the one going through the circumstance. Or the situation. Or the trial. I can't give you the answer to those questions. Only you can. Just like you can't give the answer to the questions for me. Does that make sense? I can help, and you can help. But we're the ones that have to answer that question for ourselves. So, question number one. 
Is God worthy of my trust? Does that sound blasphemous? Does it? So initially we would answer, well, of course he is. Wouldn't we? Sure we would. Well, of course he's worthy of my trust. Okay. That is the correct answer. But when you are in the heat... What's your answer? When you're feeling the heat, when things are falling down around you, when things are not going the way you thought they should go, do you still believe he's worthy of your trust? Do you believe it enough to stake your livelihood and even your life on it? Now we may never openly state this. Alright? We may never openly state this and the reason why we might be because we might be feared we're going to be judged by others. That's that's a that's a reality. Now, you may say something like this to, to a pastor or to a counselor because that's, that's kind of a safe environment. But would you find anybody up here at the pulpit saying, I don't know if God's worthy of my trust? Probably not. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. But think about it. When you're really faced with an adverse situation, if, if things are really threatening your livelihood or your status quo, if life is just going crossways, I'll bet at some time or another you've entertained this. You may not have worded it that way, but that is the issue. Is God credible enough for me to turn all matters of life and death over to him. Remember what it says here, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's, some, that's a serious statement. Is God credible enough to me in my life that I'm going to just turn it all over to him? Come what may. Yeah, can I say myself and probably many others in this room in this congregation have faced situations that I can just speak from personal experience that he has proved himself to me. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. You're right. You're absolutely right. And not taking anything away from what you just said because of your experiences and stuff like that. But, you know, there are folks who are going through tough times that are going through it. They're not on the other side. So they may not be able to say that. Say that. Yeah, exactly. And when you're really going through a dark, difficult time, that is the question. Can I trust God during this time? Can I lean 
totally on the Lord during this time. Can I believe what his word is telling me, teaching me, counseling me to do, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when it goes contrary to, you know, what everybody is telling me, is he worthy of that kind of trust? Because sometimes that's where we're at. That's where we're at. You remember the disciples in John chapter 6? I mentioned them before. They stopped following Jesus. Why? Yeah, he had some tough words, some hard sayings. And they said, Who can hear this? And so they left, taking their families with them. I've seen that happen. I've seen men or women who've come to a place where, nope, I've had enough, and they take the whole family away. They take the whole family away. And I, there, will time, there will come time. I, I pray they, the, that it doesn't happen, but there could come times and situations that we're going to experience where this question of, okay, is God worthy of my trust? Can I, can I, can I really stand on that rock that he says he is in spite of the waves crashing around me will I fully trust in God is he worthy of that trust turn to Proverbs chapter 30 (coughs) Proverbs chapter 30 Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse 1. Raise your hand if you're there. Woohoo! <laughs> verse 1 The words of Agor, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukul. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not my, the understanding of a man. Neither I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the holy. Here we are, we're reading about a humble admission from this man of a need of God's divine revelation found in God's word. He's a teacher. This man is a teacher in the things of God. He's he would what we would call a discipler of these individuals that's 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 being mentioned here. But he's not so full of himself, he's, so, he's not so prideful of his, in his own conceit and his own knowledge that he comes to a place where he believes he knows it all, right? He knew that in himself he had no truth, but he knew where to find it. He knew where to find it. Verse 4, he continues, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? These are all good questions. But the only place you're going to find the answer to these questions is where? In the word of God, as God reveals the answers to these questions. So he understands that. And so he makes this admission of confession of faith in verse 5. He says, And every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. I go to this passage and I go to this verse in verse 5 because that's where we must settle in our own hearts 
concerning God's word. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Because that's where it really comes down to. Do I or do I not believe what God has said in his word? Is he... What are we actually saying? Is God good for his word? Is God worthy of that kind of trust? That's an issue we need to settle in our own heart. That's what Randy's been teaching on Wednesday night about the Word of God. We do have a more sure Word of Right here. We do. We have it. People are trying to take it away from us, but we have it. We have it. Why do you think there's such an assault on God's Word? Why do you think there are folks who are trying to ban it from our society? Taking it out of government offices, taking it out of schools, taking it out of public place. Why do you think there's such a battle to remove God's word from our culture? They vilify the Bible. They rate it as nothing more than just another book. What are they saying? It's not worthy of your trust. And it's considered countercultural and subversive that anyone Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's full of error. How could you possibly believe in a book that's so full of error? It's just a bunch of fairy tales. Well, there is a, how do you pronounce the word, malevolent? Malevolent. Malevolent, thank you. That's like, uh, what's the other word I always get butchered? Omni. Omnipotent. 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 I'm always saying omnipotent. It's omnipotent, right. So it's mal... Malevolent. There's a malevolent, vicious, hating spirit out there. Right? That doesn't want you to trust God. He doesn't want you to trust God. He's always, always telling lies about our Father. He's always telling lies about His Word. Why is that? Because He doesn't want the Father's will to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. That's why it's one of those prayer points. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray that? And why do you think you're hated because you believe in that Bible? Is it because of you? No, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's who we identify with. It does. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hate you, you know it hated me before it hated you. That's true. That's very true. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Rejoice that the world hates you. 
You're doing good in God's eyes. So, Jeff, how does that comport with live peaceably among all men? Granted, we are supposed to preach the gospel. But to a lot of times, that does create uh, animosity. Yeah, but on whose part? Exactly. Not on your part. Yeah, not on your part, but on their part. And there is a way to live peaceably with all men, but that might mean, you know... Separation. uh, Separation. It might mean imprisonment. It might mean persecution. It might mean all that. We just don't retaliate. uh, Vengeance uh, belongs to the Lord, not to us. Does that tie back to what Jesus said? You know, I I do not bring peace, but a sword. But a sword. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this book is going to cause division, without a doubt. It's going to cause division. This is words are true. Exactly. And it goes all the way back to when that sermon said, Yea, hath God said. That's where it all started. And we're still, we're still uh, experiencing the repercussions of that, even today. Now let me um, share with you a personal testimony. I don't, I don't share this, you know, to make myself out to be anything special, because you know, I've wrestled, I wrestled, I've wrestled with this. Um, we're all in the same boat. When the winds and the waves start crashing, you know. Anyway, my my wife was saved at an early age, and. Um, there was a certain wholesomeness about her. I didn't understand where it came from, why it was there, but there was a certain wholesomeness about my wife that attracted me to her. And um, I'll confess, I was a terrible influence on my wife. I was a no good. I really was a no good. Um, but um, And she did. She attempted to keep us upright in our marriage and everything. Anyway, I got saved. I got saved by the grace of God due to a faithful witness of a, of a man on my job site. But I was very, very ignorant concerning the things of the Word of God. Very ignorant concerning the things of the Word of God. And, the, you know, the teachings of my faith. I was raised in a particular denomination that was rift with error and traditionalism and stuff like that. And that's what I was battling through. And uh, the man that led me to the Lord, he had his own issues. You know, he was still very immature in many, many ways. He did know the gospel. He did make that very clear to me, and he did help me to understand what the gospel was. But as far as some of the weightier matters of life, you know, he was very little help. No fault of his own. That's just where he was in his life. But the point being, there was no one there to disciple me. There was no one there to show me this or that in the Bible and help me to work through some of these issues. And I was still attending, we were still attending the church, the previous denomination that I was speaking of at the time. We hadn't really found a good Bible-believing church. Every time I went to the priest and asked him a question, he didn't have an answer, and he finally told me to put the book down. It was his job to tell me what it said, but he couldn't tell me what it said. You know, that type of thing. So I, I had more questions than answers. And, and praise God for a church that understands discipleship, 
You know, praise God for people who understand discipleship and invest their lives in people with the Word of God. And, and even after the 16 lessons are over with, they still invest their lives in them and so forth and so on. Well, anyway, this went on for about a year. And all I had was my wife's Bible. It was a King James Bible that her grandmother had given to her. We still have that Bible. Oh, she got so upset with me because I was underlining it and everything, and she just thought that was just the unpardonable sin. (laughs) But there were things in that Bible that were just leaping out at me, and I had to underline it and so forth and so on. Anyway, even though I didn't have anybody who really knew the Word of God to help me through, you know what I did have? Well, I had the Word of God, but I also had these wackos and these weirdos coming out of the woodwork. (laughs) All these different cults and bizarre people trying to fill my head with all of their nonsense. And so I would go back to God's Word and I'd look at it and there's something wrong with this joker. And So I really didn't have anybody but the Word of God and uh, the Holy Spirit. And on top of all the cults and the weirdos and the wackos, I had some friends of mine who were lost, who were scorners. And they were constantly, remember that? Constantly ridiculing us about believing the Bible. And, oh, you, you, you know, what is the saying? You had a, had a come to Jesus moment. And, I mean, they really did give us the business. And eventually they all fell away. They all just left. You know, I pleaded with them and pleaded with them, but they all finally left. So I was very confused. I was very frustrated. Had all these people telling me that I was kind of some sort of idiot for believing in the Bible. And I was really confused, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And uh, the one thing I was sure of was that I was a sinner, and I was saved by grace, and the only hope I had in this life was Jesus Christ. And that little black KJV. So one day, in the midst of all this confusion and all this babble, I did this at work. I went into an empty stairwell. And in that empty stairwell, I said, Lord, I don't know everything there is to know about your Bible. And I don't have the answers to what everybody is trying to tell me that I, for the reason why I'm stupid. And I, I, I don't know up from down. But I want you to know this, Lord. They can show me in black and white where I'm wrong and where I'm stupid. But I'm still going to trust in your Bible. Come what may. I'm still going to trust in your Bible. Again, I'm not saying that that to elevate myself. But I can clearly remember that that was the moment that I made up my mind that God was worthy of my trust. Even if I didn't understand what in the world it was I was trusting him about. Does that make sense? And that's the place where we all have to come to. In the midst of our own experiences, in the midst of our own trials, in the midst of our own circumstances, we've got to come to that place. I do not understand what is going on, but you do. 
and I am going to trust in you come what may. Even if I die. Even if I die. Yeah. Yea, though he slay me. That's where Job came to. God is worthy of our trust. Even if we don't understand what's going on, he's still worthy of our trust. He is certainly worthy of our trust. Even if we don't believe he is, he's still worthy of our trust. He's still worthy of our trust. Now, does this mean that I don't have seasons of doubt? Sure I do. Does this mean that I've got all the answers to all the questions? Well, you guys know that's not true because you've come and asked me questions I don't have answers to. I know where to find them. I just haven't found them yet. Same thing for you. You know, sometimes my... uh, my kids will come and ask me a question about the Bible. Well, look it up. I tell them, look it up. They used to come and ask me, what's the definition of such a word? And I said, you know, there's this remarkable book called a dictionary. Go check it out for yourself. You might be amazed what you find out. Does this mean it's always been smooth sailing? No. If anything, it's gotten more rocky at times. <laughs> My wife and I have sailed some pretty choppy weathers to, uh, waters together. And you know what? Sometimes you have to sail those waters by yourself. Sometimes you have to. What I did learn was this. 2 Timothy 1, 12-13 For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which I have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. God commits himself to those who who commit themselves to God. That's what I learned. God commits himself to those who commit themselves to him. That's when he starts proving himself worthy. He's always worthy. But we need to have that proven, don't we? That's why Paul says, I am fully persuaded. Think about what Paul went through. That's why he said, I'm fully persuaded. When Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy, he was just days, maybe weeks away from being absent from the body and present with the Lord. Romans 15.4, he writes, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comforts of the Scriptures might have hope. And that's what we're going to pick up next time we get together. Because what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about an individual in the Bible. One of those individuals in the Bible that you may not think that this individual was a person of faith. But they were. 
And I want to talk about those obscure, this obscure, ordinary, common individual, just like you and me, that lived an exceptional life simply because he trusted in the Lord with all of his heart. That's what we'll pick up next week. Glorious Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, uh, confessing that you indeed are worthy, even at times, Lord, where our circumstances and our situations and our flesh may cause us to question that. But you are worthy, Father. We are so grateful that we know you and that we can come to you and that you indeed, you are our rock in the storm, our tower, our strength. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would increase our faith, perfect our faith in these matters. We thank you so much that you love us, care for us, and we thank you, Lord God, for your worthiness to be trusted in with all of our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Any questions or comments before we take off? You had your chance. You know, that's a, that's a back row you don't want to mess with over there.